This morning I want to continue on generosity begets generosity. And ask yourself the question, am I a generous person? Ask yourself, am I a generous person? Or is everything about myself? You don't have to answer loud, but just ask yourself, am I a generous person? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, the amplified version, I want to read it to you. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his own heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves, he takes pleasure in prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. Does giving make you happy? Are you excited to give somebody something? The truth is, Our hands are regulated by our hearts. Amen? And we've looked at the previous weeks where I ministered. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Second week we looked at who's first in your life. And last week we looked at the blessing and the curse, tithing and the test that comes with that. So I want to look at generosity this morning. Amen. John 12 verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And at the money box, and he used to take what was put in it, but Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. But the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have all." ways ask yourself am i a generous person one thing that giving always reveals is our heart here we have two people the one a woman who came who gave everything that she had and we could see her heart being revealed in this but we have judas as well whose heart is also revealed through all of this why are you wasting this now on our master's feet should this not have been sold and given to the poor, both their motives are revealed through her giving. Amen? If you go study and you look at 300 denarii, was a year's wages. If you take away the Sabbaths and the holidays and the feasts and everything, 300 denarii would be a whole year's salary that she came and she gave. Not arrogantly, but in humility and sincerity of heart. Remember, her brother had died and was raised by Christ. So she had a lot to be grateful for. A lot to be grateful for. Her brother was raised from the dead. You as a Christian today has also been raised from the dead. When it comes to giving, giving always reveals our heart. Judas had selfish motives he was selfish you know it's in our nature that when we 
grow up. By nature, we are very selfish. I think one of the first words that babies say, we'd like to believe that it's mama, but it's actually mine. Hmm? If you have a child, mine, mina. The sad thing is some of us never outgrow it. We're 40, 50, and it's still in our 20s. Mina, it's mine. It's mine. Lazarus had been raised. Look here. Verse 5. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Let me tell you one thing about selfish people. They'll always make excuses for their own weaknesses. He didn't really care about the poor. He cared about himself. I often have heard people say, but why is that guy staying in that house? Or why is that guy, you should sell that and give it to the poor. Ever heard people say that? Be very careful when you say that. Because remember, Judas was the very one who betrayed Jesus. Why didn't he sell what he had and give it to the poor? If he was really so much concerned about the poor. When I hear people say, well, this person should sell that and give it to the poor. And I think, well, why don't you sell that which you had and you give it to the poor if you are so concerned about the poor? It's easy to tell other people, sell your stuff and give it to the poor. He was covering up his own weakness because he was a selfish person. Selfishness would always want to protect self. Selfishness wants to provide for self. While the Bible says God is the one who is our provider. God is the one who protects us. Amen? This woman came and gave in humility and sincerity of heart. Not expecting anything back. I mean, just think for one second. You coming and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to give my income for a whole year to you. You'll be rebuking the devil. Just think for one minute. You have to give. She had saved this money. Remember, she was a prostitute. She was saving this money to give herself a better life. This was her ticket out of the way that she used to live. But she didn't put her trust in that finance. She put her trust in God. She didn't come parading. I've been in church services where ministers manipulate people when it comes to giving. We are never allowed to do that. It's one of the things that God has challenged us as a congregation not to manipulate people when it comes to finances. a matter of fact, those of you that are visiting here for the first time, you were expecting an offering to be taken up after worship, and it didn't happen. I've many times seen people at the end of the worship and they start taking out their wallets, taking out their money, then I think, what faithful givers, but it's not going to happen. Because the Lord has challenged us to put Him first. The truth about that is that when we started ministering to people, the church service in the beginning got very long. And most of the people were not used to it. So the Lord said, stop with all the long announcements. He said, Lord, okay, we're going to leave the announcements, but we cannot leave the offering. So we stopped doing long announcements. We used to just put it on the overhead or just quickly like we did it here. Then the services were still very long. So what was the only other thing? Cannot stop praise and worship. Cannot stop sharing the word. So God said and challenged us. Don't take up an offering. That time, that 15 or 10 minutes that you use to take up an offering, use that. 
to minister to my people. And we've been doing that for more than four years. Because when it comes to giving, if you have given your heart to God, He's got your everything. If you're a true born-again believer, you don't wait for the minister to preach to you and you rate him out of 10. Then you say, okay, that was good. That's a 50 rand offering. Or, okay, that was really great. I'm going to give 100 rand. Now the Bible says you as a believer, before you come, before you come, you hear from God, what am I supposed to give? Then nobody can manipulate you. Nobody can twist your arm. Nobody can push you in a direction where you shouldn't go when it comes to finances. Then you'll always be a cheerful, a joyful giver that God cannot do without. Amen. So turn to the person next to you and ask them, have you come prepared to bless your maker? So here, this woman had reason to rejoice. Her brother had just been raised from the dead. She's so happy about that that she's prepared to give something. She wants to bless him. Everything. Let me tell you something. When she came giving to Christ, she didn't come expecting anything back. But she didn't even realize what she was doing when she was just giving it unto him. Because Jesus came later on and he said, Leave her alone. What she has done here is for my burial. She's anointed me. For the challenges that lies ahead. So when you come and you give generously, sometimes you don't even know that giving that you are doing, what it will release in the spirit. What it is doing for the kingdom of God. After this, Christ said, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will be mentioned. Because she gave what her life depended upon. Her everything without holding anything back. You know, I thought about this whole thing, Judas Iscariot. He's the thief, but he's got the money box. Do you think Jesus was aware of the fact that he was a thief? Do you think it was a surprise to Jesus that Judas was the one who betrayed him? Actually, matter of fact, if you go to Matthew 26, you'll see right after this is when he went and he betrayed Christ. You know, Christ gave him the money box for the salvation of his soul. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that God will never tempt you above what you can handle, but he will always make a way out. Just go there quickly, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold of you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance. And that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can be. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature. And he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and aside beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place. Amen. So this was for the salvation of his soul. Not to continue in that. Remember, all 12 disciples were seeking the kingdom of God. All of them. But one was seeking it in money. One was seeking it in money. Thinking that money would bring that salvation. Remember what we shared last week on Mammon? Mammon promises you the security, the salvation, the peace of mind. 
But he never delivers. Well, God said, I will give it to you. Amen. Turn to the person next to you, ask them, are you a generous giver? You know what is the thing today? The gospel that's being preached to people today. We're serving God. And we are giving unto the kingdom of God for what God can give back to us. That's not the gospel. We're giving unto the kingdom, not expecting anything back. If I'm preaching a gospel and teaching you, you do this, then God will do this. I'll be breeding greed in your heart. Because I mean, there's some very clever people who quickly do the maths. Okay, I do this now for God, then God will do this for me. No, no, no. She gave without expecting anything back. That is a wrong gospel that we are preaching to people. And we are training their hearts to be full of greed. To love money more than what they love God. Money in itself is not evil. But the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. You'll hear people say things like, What money is in the natural, the anointing is in the spirit. Really? The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of the anointing brings freedom. Delivers people from bondage. So how can you compare something like that to the anointing to God's presence? Hmm? Some people think they can impress God with their giving, with their finances. This woman didn't come parading saying, This is my year's salary. Be aware, congregation, I'm a big giver. No. The Bible says she came in humility, on her knees, knowing who's the creditor and who's the debtor. That's why the story of the widow with the two mites is in the Bible. It's not how much you give or what you give. It's how you give it. In humility and sincerity of heart. That woman who gave the two cents gave what her life depended upon. She was a generous giver. Those others, the Bible says, they gave out of their abundance. God says, look at this. They're supposed to be writing a check of 100,000. Now they're giving 10,000 and I think I should be happy. Well, this woman gives two cents, but she gives what her life depends upon. Don't fall into those traps. God wants to bless us. Ask yourself, am I a generous giver? The truth is, if somebody's got two cents in their pocket, and that's all they've got, they're giving more. I don't want to stand next to that lady with the two cents. Because God will say, she's the big giver. And you? Hmm, You gave out of your abundance. David said, I will not give anything that costs me nothing. Remember I shared with you that when Abraham... Gave his tithes to Melchizedek. He had full revelation and understanding of atonement to the body of Christ that would be broken and the blood of Christ that would be shed. He understood the message of salvation. And through that, he started giving a tithe. Not under the law. That's why in Genesis 22, when God said, Okay, you understand this message now. Give me your son. Your only begotten son. Sacrifice him. Do you know what Abraham said? He didn't say, I'm taking my son to be sacrificed on the mountain as the Lord said. He said, me and the lad will go yonder and worship. He saw that giving, that sacrificial giving, 
as part of his worship. Counting God as the faithful one who will even raise his son from the dead. He says, I can give it because I know God is able to raise him from the dead. Is this not where Mary found herself here? My brother's been raised from the dead. I want to give what my life depends upon. You know, just back on this thing concerning finances and money, what can you really give to impress God? How much will you give to impress God? Let me just put you in the picture here. His streets are made of gold. His foundations are made of diamonds. His gates are pearls. So what do you think you can give to impress God? (laughs) Give that which your life depends upon. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, the most precious thing you can give God is yourself. In our hearts, we are made to be like Jesus. You are valuable. You are precious to Him. When you give yourself to Him, He's got everything in any case. Turn to the person next to you again and say, the most precious gift you can give Him is yourself. Amen. You know, I mentioned last week just quickly, and I want to touch on it. When it comes to giving, there are three levels of giving. Number one is your tithes. Your tithes is that 10% of your salary, and that belongs to God. That's not dividing it into three and giving to this ministry and to this Bible school and helping that person. That 10% belongs to the storehouse. As you bring that, God sanctifies the rest of your income and your finances. Amen. I'm not going to go back to it, but you can listen to the previous sermons. Secondly, is offerings. That you can decide where you want to give it, how you will give it, who you want to give it. It's an offering that you bring, you bless people. And then there's extravagant giving, generous giving or sacrificial giving. You know, I heard some statistics that between 5 and 7% of the church is giving their tithes. Between 5 and 7% is giving their tithes. In other words, that's all that has the blessing and the favor of God upon the rest of the income. It's a scary thought. The truth is, people never enter into the second or the third level of giving. All people that give their tithes enter to the second level. And then after that is sacrificial giving. And that is something that the Lord wants will speak to you and say, do this or do that. And it usually scares you. But you know you have to do it to bring a release. But your giving should be joyful. It should be joyful when you give. There's so many things to be grateful for. And I always ask myself, am I a generous giver? But God honors that. God multiplies that. God increases that. So we thank God. Turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you a generous giver? You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, very interesting, this verse, Hebrews 11 verse 6, it's the only place in the Bible where the word rewarder, is used. It's the only place in the Bible where the word rewarder is used. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. I want to challenge you. Some of you, 
will have to start giving your tithes by faith. Putting your trust in God. This word rewarder is made up out of two words. The one is to pay a person's wages which is due to him. The Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 7, that whatever a man sows, that he will reap. The Philip translation says, a man's entire life is based upon the seed that he has sown. That's what the Bible says. A man's entire life is based upon the seed that he has sown. That means you can change your situation and your circumstances through the seeds that you start sowing. Forget about money. If you need friends in your life, you yourself start sowing some friendly seeds. And put away the grumpy old seeds. Hmm? Yes. So in other words, if you want more people to smile at you, you smile a bit more. Yes. I have first-hand experience of that. If you've ever phoned me, I've got my whole family, we've got wonderful, nice, friendly voices over the telephone. <laughs> Hello, Pastor, how are you? You know, when I, when I answer the phone, I have to smile so people can hear the smile on the other side. Yes, my voice sounds grumpy over the phone. So most people, if they phone a pastor, they shouldn't say, it's okay, pastor, I'll phone you back later. Uh, it sounds like you're busy. I don't believe... And so I have to... <laughs> so, you know, so when I'm talking to you, I've always got a smile on my face. Because you can hear that smile on the other side. That friendliness comes through. So I had to start to sow seeds like that. Amen? So maybe some of you also, when you answer the phone, smile. People can hear the smile on the other side. Amen. So I'm just preaching to myself, reminding myself of what I'm supposed to do. Amen. Genesis 8 verse 22. The Bible says, from the beginning it's been seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. It means if you want a certain harvest, there's a seed time. There's a seed time. Amen. The Bible says, he who wants friends, show himself to be friendly. So if you say, I don't have any friends, ask yourself, am I a friendly person? Turn to the person next to you, look to me, I say, your smile looks better than the last time I saw you. There can be no loving in truth without giving. There can be no giving in truth without receiving. And there can be no planting in truth without reaping. So the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, rewarding us when we seek God diligently, our faith. Like I said, this word comprises of two Greek words. The one is to pay somebody what they are due. The second part is to reward them above what is due to them. And you can go look in your concordance. It's the only time that this word is in the Bible. God is ready to reward you. The truth is, rewarding you, rewarder, is not just something God does. It's who He is. This means God cannot act contrary to His nature. If you approach God in faith, in humility, in sincerity of heart, there's a force behind it to see the accomplishment thereof. This is the confidence that we have in God. The big question is, what you are doing, are you doing it in faith? I was sharing with somebody yesterday, they were talking about baptism. 
how powerful is baptism? I said, well, it's like anything in Christianity. If you don't add faith, it means nothing. You'll go dry into the water and you'll come wet out. But if you believe that when you are baptized, you are burying the old man once and for all, and in the same way Christ was raised, you are raised. Yes. Then there's spiritual significance. It becomes a spiritual beacon in your life. In the same way with your giving. When you put God first, God's attention is upon your finances, is upon yourself already. Ask yourself, am I a generous person? Do you know what is the big thing that happens? People that are generous that give, you usually see a generous multiplication in their lives. Do you know God has called us for multiplication? That Genesis 8.22 that I had shared there, actually just before that is when God destroyed the whole earth. The earth was destroyed. Noah and his sons came out. It says, now seed time and harvest. Then he gives instruction to Noah. 9 verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 7. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Can you imagine what God is saying? This is before the law. God says, be fruitful and multiply. And after you've multiplied, multiply in it. In other words, let's double up. So I want to talk to you about the principle of multiplication. How does that work? Who of you would like to see some multiplication in your lives? Many of us, when we look at our finances, dividing and subtracting, we're quite used to that. But we'd like to get used to multiplication. Amen. To see how God does that. Now what's very important, this is for every person. The three sons of Noah symbolizes all of mankind. Matter of fact, that's the three people that got saved in the New Testament. Paul, Nicodemus, and the Ethiopian. That resembles Noah's three sons after God had given them a clean slate. Amen? So the number one, that means salvation is for everybody. Amen? All of mankind can be saved. That's God's heart, God's desire. But this also means that multiplication is for all of mankind. So who of you would like to tap into that principle of multiplication? Are you ready for that? Can I share that with you? So turn to the person next to you and say, salvation is for everybody. Therefore, multiplication is for everybody. The key is to give in humility and sincerity of heart. Go to Luke 9, and I'm going to close. So look here. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. So let's just bring it down to, yeah, local time today. We're busy preaching. There's a lot of people there. We're a deserted place. So now the ushers come to me or the disciples come to me. Say, you've been ministering the whole day long. I think it's a good idea that we break with the service now and that the hungry people must go and get some food and place to rest. Is that right? He said to them, you give them something to eat. So if you're really so concerned about the people that they are hungry, give them something to eat. Hmm? You know, I can just imagine 
I don't know how these ushers work, these disciples here of us. They're obviously viewing the whole thing and seeing, okay, here's the situation. So uh, they get together and they say, okay, um, one of us will have to go and speak to the pastor and just explain to him what's happening here. So now they come and they say, we've got the situation. The people are hungry. The people are tired. They need to go and rest. Can we just break and let them go? And I say, no, no, no. You guys feed them. It's okay. So now they come back and they say, okay, we've got a situation here. What did the pastor say? The pastor said, we should feed them. We should feed them. Where will we get the food? (laughs) We don't have that. What have we got in hand? Are you still on my page? But he said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the 12 loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. So how many disciples were there? Twelve. How many baskets were left over? So each one of them got a doggy bag to take home. (laughs) They had an abundance. Let me show you the principle here to multiply. Go to verse 16. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitudes who multiplied the bread and the fish and whose hands did the multiplication take place in Jesus's hands or in the disciples hands in the disciples hands God had blessed the bread when he had blessed the bread he put it in their hands and when they took that and started giving it the multiplication took place What does the Bible say? When you give your tithe, your money is blessed. When you give that first portion, it's blessed. So the blessing gets done by God. But the multiplication took place in the disciples' hands. When they took it and they started breaking. Every time they broke it, it multiplied. Every time they gave it to somebody, it multiplied. Could Peter and some of the other disciples have taken that bread and eaten it? Yes. If you eat your seed that you're supposed to sow, no multiplication can take place. So make sure that that which is in your hand has been blessed. When it's in your hand and it's been blessed, multiplication can take place. Where's the tithing envelope? Just bring me a tithing envelope quickly, please. Have you got one here? Okay. This is the scripture that the Lord gave us on your tithing envelope. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. What does the Bible say? What will God do to a generous giver? You know, when you sow a seed, that's what you're going to reap. You don't sow lemon seeds and then have apple trees growing. But the truth is the seed that you sow always produces more always produces more but here god says those who are generous 
Those who give. It says he gives the promise, I'll give you, there will be seed to sow, and some of that seed will be bread for eating. But that seed that you're going to sow, before you sow that seed, I'm going to multiply it in your hands. What happens if your seed multiplies? The harvest multiplies. If you've got one bag of seeds that you want to sow, and now suddenly that multiplies to two, this is what God says he will do. What is the most important thing here? God says, I will increase the fruit of your righteousness. Can any of us become righteous on our own? No. That means your trust must be in God when you do your sowing. Giving cannot make us righteous. But rightful giving, putting our faith, our trust in God, increases the fruit of our righteousness. God is ready to multiply. God is ready to increase every area of your life. The challenge that we have today is, do we put our trust in God? What is our motives when it comes to giving? Am I just here to bless the kingdom of God? Or do I come with a lot of strings attached? You know, I always say to people when they say, you know, I've made a deal with the Lord. If He gives me a million rand, uh, I'm going to give 10%. You know, the mafia will do better than that. Hmm? That's just revealed your heart. Lord, you give me a million rand, I'll give you 10%. Hmm? If somebody now came to you and said, listen, I'll give you a million rand, what, what kind of a deal can we do? Most people at least would go say, let's go 50-50. <laughs> just for giving it. So when it comes to finances, finances really reveals what's in our hearts. That's all it does. When we give generously, it reveals our heart towards God. When we are stingy and we don't want to give, it reveals our hearts. When we say certain things, it reveals your heart. The Bible says, out of our hearts flow the issues of life. So your heart will always reveal the true you when it comes to money. One thing in closing, God is not after your money. But God wants to get his presence into your life. The promise that was made to Abraham, go read Galatians 3 verse 14, was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Not only in your life, but every area of your life. If you go read Deuteronomy, the blessings when they obeyed the law was to prosper them was to multiply them. Why did God want to bless them? Allow them to multiply. Why did God want to do that? To establish His covenant, His relationship with us. So that people will see these people have put their trust in the Lord. Abraham said himself, I will not receive anything of this blessing, of this spoil, when he helped his uh, lot. He said, unless people will say, they've blessed me and they've made me rich. He said, I'm putting my trust in God. People will say, God has been the one who has blessed me, who has caused the increase and the multiplication in my life. Selah. Precious Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you.